0: Back to the Masters of Modern MMCast podcast, episode four hundred. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host Ben Bateman. Uh, it's a big deal. Four hundred episodes for a podcast is a is a is a a lot of podcasting. So many hours. And there are people that listen to this podcast still that have been listening since the very beginning. There are others that have gone through at some point and listened <laughs> to every episode that they've gone through. You know, you know, what's uh, one thing I will say is a lot of people talk about how difficult it is to watch all of one piece. And (laughs) I would say, I think we have more hours of this podcast recorded than total hours of one piece episodes recorded.
1: If you average our podcast episodes to 90 minutes, because I think often they're close to that. And there's some of the old ones are like two to three hours. But if that's the case, then that means this would be 600 hours of magic podcasts plus plus all of the like pre-shows and extra content but like if you right. just listened then it's let's say it's
0: five to six hundred hours one piece is how long 22 minutes something like that it's yeah 20 20 minutes 20 minutes of i think i like have actually done the math and it's like 17 minutes on average of content per episode so yeah we're we're rivaling freaking one piece here with our yeah. content output. it sounds like we it i mean 17 like a thousand times 17 a thousand times 20 or divided by three, right? Because it's twenty minutes an hour, so mm-hmm. that's three hundred and thirty hours. If our podcast is just an hour long each, not even ninety minutes at four hundred episodes, and, and,
1: and I would argue of comparable quality our two shows. They're pretty you know, close. The
0: the <laughs> world building from the Masters of Modern podcast, the character development, uh the fact that neither <laughs> of us have found the one piece uh, is is all pointing to you're right. You know, you can't you can't. You heard it here, four hundredth this. Place better speaking than one. Of,
1: piece. Yeah, speaking speaking of finding the one piece, uh, there will be a conversation on tonight's episode about the craziest thing that has happened to magic in a long time. Uh, there is a finding the one piece level scavenger hunt. Happening at the moment in the magic world, well, which
0: is part of tonight's episode, which is gonna yeah, be. And so, and so, we we, we are, uh, you know, as time honored tradition, our first episode was reviewing cons of Turkey here with Fetchlands being added to the format. Uh, and this episode will be reviewing a set, uh, it'll be reviewing the Lord of the Rings, uh, Magic of the Gathering Tales of Middle Earth set that is coming out. Uh, for the most part, I believe most of the preview cards have been previewed. Um, there's some stragglers that are still coming in, but we're pretty much all there. Uh, and, uh, this is modern horizons three. So for those who don't know, um, you know, modern generally only receives cards through standard set printings. Uh, now two times, uh, modern horizons one and modern horizons two sets have been printed with the intent of directly printing cards into the modern format. Um, and the Lord of the Rings set, one of the unique features of it beyond it being the first, uh, universes beyond draft format they've printed is that the set is being printed directly into uh modern so this is this is modern horizons 3 now a few weeks ago or a few episodes ago we did have a big conversation kind of surrounding the idea of like will the power level of this need to be as high as modern horizons 1 or 2 to you know modern horizons 1 or 2 needed a high power level to sell packs right you they needed a ragavan to make you to pay for that set this set doesn't need that it has six different variants of Gandalf and or Sauron and has like 40 different uh, Frodo's of the set so there's a large fandom for those those properties uh of course including us and so I think I think my overall opinion of what I've seen so far is I don't think this set is as powerful as either of the modern horizon sets
1: no I definitely not there's a lot of cards in the set that are purely flavorful that are very cool design is really fun. There are some really good cards. The interesting thing about this set is that the the type of player that is the most interested in buying for like aesthetic and lore for like the the, the essentially the aesthetic is the player who's less interested I think by and large in like the spiky version of magic. It's not to say that there's not crossover because I think there is, but I think people who want to deck out their decks with characters and images and art that they love and cool things are going to be very attracted to this set. And that player base is commander largely. That that is that the, the the type of magic player that is hyped on that is a slightly more casual likes to hype their decks up. So what's interesting about this is that the card design here is a little different than the first two horizon sets where I'm sure there was commander in mind. You can distinctly tell they've split the design philosophy down the middle a bit where there is powerful eternal level cards all throughout the set. There's also cards that distinctly read this is going to be super fun to play in commander. This is legendary. This is another version of a legendary character. Like there's a lot of that in here. And I think it's fascinating to look at the cards now and go, they're now card, card power, power design, balancing cards differently than they ever have before. And I think this set to me really truly speaks to that more
0: than any set that I've ever seen. Well, I think, I think, you know, there was the jokes and or complaints uh, around modern horizons one and two about like those sets being commander masters actually, right. We we've lived in a world where commander and modern and limited and standard are all being designed equidistant from each other at the same level. Now uh, there's arguments to be made that probably limited is most often the thing these things are being made for. And then there's a secondary run with other things being a focus. Um, Now one key difference here is that like with, The flavor of it, you know, there's a lot of like interesting choices that were made that that's going to affect kind of how these cards are designed. You know, one one thing I do want to talk about is like the ring and the ring tempts you mechanic, right? Like this is playing in the same space as Dungeons and Initiative um, and the Monarch token. And historically, those are things created for, you know, multiplayer formats. This is the first Well, Dungeons was made for one V one. And then the other ones were made for multiplayer. And I would argue Dungeons was pretty fair. Monarch and uh, the Initiative have broken Popper and Legacy, respectively, because of their non-testedness for those formats. So it's really interesting to see them kind of keep playing in this space of this extracurricular challenge token. Um, and so I'm going I'm to briefly explain it because it is really relevant as we go through all the cards that we're going through in this set. What does the ring tempting you mean? What does it do? Uh, And then we can talk a little bit about the flavor of it. So, uh, the ring tempts you. As the ring tempts you, you get an emblem named the ring. If you don't have one, then your emblem gains its next ability and you choose a creature you control to become uh, or remain your ring bearer. Uh, So, basically, it means an emblem that acts very similar to a saga, right? It's a thing, and then as you... Every time you get tempted, it moves down the saga path uh and then it is always chosen onto a creature so you have a creature in play that is the ring bearer who has the ring and the ring can tempt you even if you don't control a creature so you can keep increasing which level you're on even without a creature the ring gains its abilities in order from top to bottom once it gains its ability it has that ability for the rest of the game that's it going down like a saga each time the ring tempts you you must choose a creature if you control one so you can't If you have a creature, you can't not tempt the creature. Uh, And then each player can have only one emblem named the ring and only one ring bearer at a time. So this you do not. um, It's not you're not trading it back and forth. You have your own the ring. They have their own emblem for the ring. You're not sharing the ring like initiative. um, And you can't have more than one. You don't double up on rings. Uh, And so the rings in order are the ring, your ring bearer is legendary and can't be blocked by creatures with greater power. The next ability is whenever your ring bearer attacks, draw a card, then discard a card. So this now has can't be blocked by creatures with greater power. And then the next step, it adds you uh, when it attacks, draw a card, then discard a card. Mm -hmm. Then if you get uh, tempted again, whenever your ring bearer becomes blocked by a creature, that creature's controller sacrifices at the end of combat. Um, and then one more time, whenever your ring bear deals combat damage to a player, each opponent loses three life. Um, so if you fully tempt, it can't be blocked by creatures with power that are greater than it. If it's blocked by something with smaller power, it kills it. You draw a card, then discard a card. And then if you do damage, each opponent, including the one you damage to loses three life. Um, so one, one big complaint about this mechanic, and I, I want to get your vibe on this as a Lord of the Rings, Stan, uh maniac yep. as as you will uh this is all upside the ring tempts you is a 100 beneficial to you mechanic there's yep. no downside which is very different than kind of i think what a lot of people consider the ring like when the ring tempts you it's supposed to corrupt you and make you less than right. frodo at the end of lord of the rings doesn't look as good as frodo at the no. beginning uh gimlet no, he- or Fro- golem looks way worse a thousand years after getting the ring than when he first got it and looked uh like a normal, a normal person. <laughs> so where, where, what's your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, specifically, are you specifically asking on the flavor or do you want me to break down my opinion on the whole mechanic? Yeah, the whole
0: thing. Flavor okay. was what I was asking about, but if you have opinions that are not flavor based, which you generally do, I'm fine hearing those as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, first with flavor, it's weird that the
1: downside is of the one ring is only represented in the one ring card that we're going to talk about later, which is hardly a downside, but they, they decided to put the like ring hurts you effect on that card as opposed to the ring tempts you mechanic, which is interesting. And it means, I think probably the theory there was, we don't want the one exciting thing that everybody knows this ring to be like a downside. We want it to be something that if you get, it feels cool. And if, so I think that that's probably why. I think they needed to be another mode. The next mode as you go to one life and then the next mode as you lose <laughs> probably is what needs to happen um, is my guess. I, from a mechanical standpoint, despise this. I hate all of these effects. I hate them. I probably hate them about as much as I've ever hated anything from a magic design perspective. And that's not just unique to this card or, or sorry, this set. That's the same for dungeons. I feel the same way. I don't feel the same way about the Monarch. Actually, the Monarch, I'm fine with. I don't have any issues with the Monarch. The Initiative is my least favorite of all of them. I think it's the one that I hate the most. This is at least the Ring tempts you refers to one sequence, only one path. And there isn't another path you can confuse it with because there's never been another ring and another set that's going to be confused with. So the reason the Initiative bothers me so much is because it's its own specific dungeon in a type of mechanic where there's other dungeons you can go into and it's hard to remember which dungeon is which and it's a specific dungeon anyway that being said
0: those we already talked about i also i think like between the two that like offers its own little mini game this is ostensibly just a like you get a legendary rank core that uh that like has an ability built into it every time it triggers you can move it to a new creature and it levels up right like that's that is a card that could have been printed not as an emblem. That could just be a, like a token that exists that acts more like a classic mechanic.
1: The reason the mon- – I mean, this is clear to you, and I think other people that have listened to my opinion on this stuff have heard this. But just to re- as a reminder, my issue with these things, the monarch says this is what the monarch does. It says it on most of the monarch cards. Maybe as time went on, they stopped printing it as much, but it's explained and it's very yeah, simple. Yeah, yeah. I can take – Just like any of us do for a token in a game of limited. I take a backwards land and I put it face down and I say that I'm the monarch. (laughs) Here's my monarch. If you deal damage to me in combat, you take this card and you're the monarch. And this is what monarch does. I draw at the end of my turn. Boom, done. That's it. That's what the monarch does. It's very simple. Uh, This is an emblem planeswalkers that say you get an emblem. It says what the emblem does. So again, back, you know, face down card represents an emblem that is represented by a card that I have in my deck. So I can refer back to that for reference. My issue with, I think, Magic's short sighted design with Paper Magic is that this is relevant only insofar as these sets are printed in five or six years when people aren't playing this set and they don't have a copy of what the ring tempts you does in front of them. And it says the ring tempts you that nobody will have any idea what that means or what it does. And it's the same problem I have with Dungeons. You have to like I have a sleeved copy of the undercity now in my Highlander box so I can avoid bad cell service the next time we do a magic tournament like a big bear right like if I don't if I don't know what the undercity does and I take an initiative card and I don't have cell service like I don't know what I'm doing
0: and I, that's a problem I, I agree that every during the preview season and when I was doing kind of the review for this set and figuring out which cards to pick, it was a little bit better. And I, I assume that once you play this, it plays really kind of easily. Which I don't think is true of dungeons, right? I, I think this is a better mechanic than like in some. And I for just the other side. I like the dungeon mechanic. I have a commander deck built around the dungeon mechanic. I think it's a pretty cool mechanic. I've actually never had the initiative in play in front of me. Uh, so I can't speak towards that at all. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think Monarch's great. Uh, but the ring Every time I read a card during previous season, I'm like, what does a ring card do? I would just just ignore that feature on the card. No idea what it meant. Didn't really care. It was hard to keep track of what that meant. And it's hard to keep track of the in context of power level even for a card. So I decided to not not remember. Now, it basically it just makes it harder. Like it gives it a version of menace that lets it loot. And that's it, like, those it, are the two it, key it ones, like, right? Basically,
1: gives it death touch and then like does extra damage. So, yeah. like, that, that's the thing about this design that I'm like a little bit more sympathetic to. And I want to make it very clear to everybody I'm absolutely gangbusters excited for this set. And I'm happy to be proven wrong on this particular mechanic because I don't think that this is the biggest sin. I just think this type of design, which to be fair to wizards and all of the folks that we know who make the game over there, like, You have to explore new design space and I will always commend exploring new, powerful, cool design space than just doing safe, boring things because the game gets stale if you do that. So you got to take the swings that you can. And this is a specific mechanic to mimic a piece of storytelling that we all just love. So I I get it. I understand why they're
0: doing this. Um, And and to to, to your point, to the point of the question on like the flavor of it being no downside, I think two things. One, I think it does create an interesting downside for the creature you have to pick like the fact that you have to make this creature something that your opponent needs to kill is like an interesting flavor similarity and and most importantly like i think just from a gameplay perspective having a negative made it so people didn't want to use this at all right like i think already people are resistant to this type of thing and so but and if you put a downside on it people just stop trying like right there it would make make it
1: frodo has the ring they don't want to kill frodo they want to take the ring from Frodo don't care about killing Frodo if they take the ring from Frodo. so like the the killing the creature aspect of it is kind of like i there it's sh- anyway it, it's almost like the monarch would make more sense that that's like a type of ability that would play more flavorfully um i think that though the four abilities we described it remains can you tempt more than once in a turn yeah so this is possible that in the same way that the initiative was confusing and then it became very clear, very fast, this is the most busted thing ever, like so unfairly good. It's very possible that there's going to be enough things that say tempt and it's easy to do where you can tempt two or even three times in a turn quite easily and your bananas bear becomes crazy. But it's also very possible that this is like kind of marginal upside. Like it's like, (laughs) it's kind of like Slow. It, it, it
0: basically is like target creature gets plus three plus zero is unblockable and loots when it attacks, with a lot of effort to make that happen, and it's very hard to make that happen before turn four, and so on turn four, if you're like I, my thing is unblockable and plus three plus zero. I don't think that's breaking modern in half.
1: Also, just so I'm clear. It happens the first time, then the second time. Then if they kill the creature and a new thing tempts, it starts over, right? That new creature. No,
0: no, no, no. Once once you have it, you have it.
1: Okay. So and so that new creature has all those
0: abilities then. Yes. Yeah. It's not going to break modern. It's good though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's That's not bad. I think it's. I think it's fine. Right. And and it's it's the way it's used in the set, which we'll talk about. Some of the cards we think will be modern playable. We have thirty cards to go over. We'll see how much we get through. But the way 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 it's kind of brought up in modern is these cards it's almost like an added bonus to cards right like i don't i don't right now i don't think i've seen any cards and we might be wrong for the reason you said with initiative that like you're not playing a card that uses this mechanic to use this mechanic you're playing the card because it's good and then this mechanic will be brought in the modern because of the fact that it can take advantage of it just has this as a cool added trinket feature
1: yeah i think uh my my last thought on the ring tempting and all that is that it's also fairly insular design. And in, in the sense that unless the set is so popular and they decide to make five more of them or, or the, or, or ring tempting, it gets retemplated into something else that we're, we're, we're stuck with whatever the design philosophy was with exactly this set, which is never going to be so game breaking specifically just this one set. Like yeah. I guess initiative kind of is, but even those cards, there's only a couple that are actually really good. Yeah. So let's, let's get into the cards. The first card well, hang on. Hang on. Before you say that, just because right. I know we, I know we did announce it was the 400th episode, but I want to just take a quick second to shout yeah. sponsors out and also just thank you. Um, so before we get into talking about the 30 cards, I just a quick thank you to everybody who's watching or listening to the episode for 400 episodes also equates to nine and a half years of Alex and my life. Uh, we have been friends since 2010, and this show started about two months before I came on board in 2014. So collectively uh, you know you've done it for nine and a half going on I've just over nine years it's a lot of time to be with one thing and still doing the same thing and those of you that are with us and have been with us since the beginning we thank you uh, if anybody has found it more recently that's listening you know we're happy to have you here and through all the years every you know partner that has supported us we're, we're very appreciative of that Alex and I are doing more and more content. Uh, other places now TikTok has become like a major focus for you over the last couple of years for magic and I've started to post more recently on the masters of modern TikTok which has been super super fun so you know if you're still engaging with the content that we do here and 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 a big thank you obviously to uh Channel Fireball as our as our home and our our sponsor uh, of the show um yeah, we're just I'm just excited to be still doing it. And it, it makes me happy
0: to. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a big achievement. We're really excited. Thank you, everyone who keeps watching and listening and, and supporting and and uh, to another 400 episodes. Let's get to we got to we got to beat one piece, right? We just got <laughs> to keep tracking the 800 episodes. Um, to the,
1: patrons, to the patrons, a big cheers to you guys for still supporting us all through all this being here. So and to the patrons for, I mean, all these years you guys have been supporting and continue to help. Make this show happen. So Alex and I have cool stuff in the Magic world coming that we'll be able to talk about shortly. Um, and, but you guys and everybody have continued to support us getting here. It's, it's great to see Magic in a new place, and I think we're both really happy to be a part of it as it expands into this kind of new era of post-COVID conventions and releases and all that. Absolutely,
0: yep. All right, ready? To, ready to talk some Lord of the Rings cards? Ready to Lord of the Rings it up? You're gonna go on an adventure? You want to? Are you ready to go on an adventure?
1: Yes, yes, right. yes. All I right. wish you had said, I, I wish you had just looked at me and said, oh, I wish the ring had never come to me. And I could have said Gandalf's
0: whole speech right there. That would have been good, but we didn't do that. So, all right. Maybe that'll happen. Uh, the <laughs> Dawn of the New Age, one in a white enchantment. Dawn of the New Age enters the battlefield with a hope counter on it. For each creature you control, at the beginning of your end step, remove a hope counter from Dawn of the New Age. If you do, draw a card. Then, if Dawn of the New Age has no hope counters on it, sacrifice it and you gain four life. It is a mythic rare enchantment. Um, this is a pretty it like for white getting this type of card draw is pretty bonkers.
1: Yeah, the cards are very good. The, the most important two things to pay attention to are number one. Uh, it is an enchantment, which means there are things that have been printed that can take advantage of this. It's blinkable in the just the basic sense of it just being a blinkable permanent. It's an easy thing to blink. Uh, you draw it end step which is really really important that's one of the things that stands out about this card is that it comes down and it's gonna be a it's just it's white draw one for two if you have a creature it's like pretty good right <laughs> right like, like over over the course of two turns this is this is white draw two for two if you have two like, creatures like, and like revitalizes
0: a playable has seen play at different times in modern right not often but like and that's yeah. one white one in a white draw a card gain through life and this will accomplish that if you have one creature in play when you play it right
1: yeah there are a couple different places that i can think of this really like where you take the most advantage of it um i think just it curving out on turn two if after you play a one drop creature in any deck is fine like it's fine like on its own just on face value it allows you to keep like two you know two mana hands and things like that there is the version of this that plays in like a revitalized affinity deck because those those decks, those affinity decks that are often white based are going to have the ability to ramp quickly um, as well as play zero mana creatures. So this can come down on turn two in those decks with two creatures in play very easily, like almost without even blinking, maybe even three creatures in some cases. Um, and I do think that that's pretty good. Um I think overall, this card is, is pretty, pretty nuts. Do you
0: yeah, think, I this think I think like in a deck that is putting a lot on the board as far as creatures goes and wants a way to kind of like draw out if they're playing against a control deck. Also in your sideboard, I think this like offers an interesting angle of attack. They're like humans or soul sisters obviously haven't been playable, but both of those decks can turn on the same way that Merfolk did with the right cards being printed.
1: Uh, I mentioned the enchantment angle. Do you think this does anything to push Sithis and Enchantress decks into like a little bit more actually I playable? I don't think
0: this card alone does that. Do I think that if a Enchantress deck that focuses a little bit more on creatures that are enchantments... Has potential of seeing play. Does this have a home in that shell? Yes, right. It's a it's a enchantment that's good enough that draws a card when you play it, that chains in with other creatures that you're playing. I think it definitely has a potential of being decent in that type of deck. Um, but it would have to be in a type of deck that's doing that type of game plan that's leaning into like enchantment style creatures or a lot of creatures for whatever reason, not the like stacksy versions of an enchantress deck that wouldn't them want this. Um next card, uh, which I know you're excited by, uh, Baromir, Warden of the Tower. Two white, legendary creature, human soldier, vigilance. Whenever an opponent casts a spell, if no mana was spent to cast it, counter that spell. Sacrifice Baromir, Warden of the Tower. Creatures you control gain indestructible until end of turn. The ring tempts you. 3-3. Three, three. Uh, farewell, Aragorn. To Go to Minas Tirith and save my people. You do not simply walk a elemental onto the battlefield when Baromir is there because it will be countered. <laughs>
1: Give me a moment for pity's sake. Uh, he is my favorite character in all of Lord of the Rings. He's the hero of the story, as we all think and agree when we talk about Baramir. Uh, this this yeah, card the is quite the good. The, the,
0: the, <laughs> the fellowship betrayed him and didn't give him the ring to use to save his people. Really, the, the, the fellowships are the real villains in this story. Agreed.
1: I do think that I would have followed you into Mordor. My my brother, my captain, my king is one of my favorite movie lines of all time. Makes me cry every time. But uh, I know that it's Boromir from the from the books, not the movie. Uh, this card's good. I mean, it's a human. It's a good human. It does cost three. It's a three mana, three, three. It has that front of the front facing ability, which is it's like you have like a self of spirit kind of stapled onto this thing. You have a little bit of that. What's Lavinia? What's the what's the blue white spell that Mana, if, if mana more than equal to the lands, they control. It's countered. It's like that bear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lavinia. It, it, Lavinia. It's got some of that flavor to it. Humans decks traditionally struggle when things cost more than two. Like, if it costs more than two, it's like a real commitment. Like, that. those, those slots are very, very competitive. Sure. And so, as good as this is, and I think this could easily be a one drop in a deck like that. I don't know. It, there's not enough soldiers that a soldier's deck could be a thing, right? I mean I know there's a ton yeah, of soldiers. I, I don't
0: I don't I think it's humans is the thing that you would want this played in. I think it has two benefits over Lavinia or three. One it, it like Vigilance 3-3 is bigger than like a, what Lavinia by like two. two I think that more importantly, the ability to sack it to give all your creatures indestructible. Like in like three different ways, this protects you against fury. It also yeah. is good against force negation. It's also good against right, like it it's it's a card that fights a lot of the removal of the format currently on an access that other things don't. Um, so I think that's really beneficial. I do think your point it's three mana, which does make it a, a fair bit of an ask. We've been a long while since collected company was a massive force in the format, but I think it does a lot of interesting things. And, And also, you know, it tempts you with the ring, which is an ability that might be relevant. Um, But I think I think I think this has potential of seeing play, but I don't know if it's going to be consistent.
1: Yeah, the thing I was going to say was, I mean, from a ring tempting perspective, this is exactly the kind of card that like the ring tempting you is really good on. Because this card's good even without that stuff. It's all just incidental value, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's going to it's just going to beef the creature up. And I think the other thing about this that that does stand out is the. You mentioned it already, but the fact that this, the selfless spirit ability is now on a human, which classically like that, you know, selfless spirit and then I think locks on on hierarch or whichever the three or four drop was that used to get played. Like those are creatures that never fit the tribal type that, the, that those decks wanted. And so this also stops more than just, I mean, I know you
0: mentioned force of negation and fury, but it also stops solitude. <laughs> uh all right, flowering of the white tree, white, white, legendary enchantment, uh, legendary creatures you control, get plus two, plus one and have ward one, not legendary creatures you control get plus one, plus one.
1: Cards really good. Uh, I don't know how good it actually is for modern. It's I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, there's a whole des- like design philosophy thing with this set where you're not designing for standard. You're splitting it between eternal formats and commander. I don't know if I can remember a card as blatantly being designed like scalably where like this is just OK. And it's so powerful in Commander, but in Commander also there are four players, so it's not that powerful. It's like just, it reduces its power level so drastically because of the fact that you're playing against three other people. I think this card's awesome. I do think that for Modern's purpose, there's always been a fringe legendary deck. Like the Legendary Matters theme has been pushed a few times. There's a lot of good one drops that can have you take advantage of, um, what's it called? Mox Amber. The printing of Raghavan was the biggest addition to that idea, and so Red, white tends to be the focus of that deck with like, you know, the Raghavan and the Isumaru and the uh, what's Zergo and like those types of cards that you end up playing to kind of be aggressive. And so this being white, white and, and coming down on turn two and making Raghavan into a four power creature with ward is pretty good, right? Like, yeah, I like yep. think two and Raghavan's just attacking for four with ward one. There are there are some players that will just lose
0: to that outright, period. Done. That's 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 the thing I'm most excited by just like there are more and more powerful one drop legendary creatures and this like gets them so big and protects them so well that it like <laughs> the problem with Raghavan is that it's so expensive right like I, I, honestly I think this would like be amazing if Raghavan was like a value card that people would have because this would be a really yeah. cool budget deck right but if you're already able to afford Ragavans, that does kind of throw like a, a ring in the loop I don't a ring in the loop
1: yeah I don't know what you're coming
0: up with that one I don't either it tempts you it's tempting you by buying expensive ragabuns. but yeah i think I oh, think no. like plus two plus one is a lot is a it, yeah. it, it makes it makes things that are small, very big very quickly, and it's not very expensive to do it, and there's enough cards that want to do it, so I can see something happening um, it's legendary that's yeah. its issue it's, you, All can't, right, you next can't card more. forge a new two and a white enchantment when forged anew enters the battlefield return target equipment card from your graveyard to the battlefield as long as it's your turn you may activate equipped abilities anytime you can cast an instant uh, you may pay zero rather than pay the equip cost of your first equipped ability you activate during each of your turns so right now the ability to use this on turn three to put a uh Caldheim, not kaldheim complete, complete into play oh, oh. is uh pretty phenomenal <laughs> it has uh it has a lot of things that it kind of feels a lot like um Greasefang if in the pioneer decks right where they're putting parkeleon in the play uh the fact that it has redundancy with stuff like stoneforge mystic so it allows you to get stoneforge mystic or this can be used to get those into play you have good loot effects that you can play with to kind of get them into the graveyard you have the goblin that lets you put an artifact from your deck into your graveyard and then you can use it to put a artifact from your graveyard three your or less. That's the part that matters less for this, but the fact that you can very easily curve that goblin into this cauldron complete on, on turn three attacking is pretty great. And the fact that like on top of that, if they have a blocker, you can attack with the goblin and cauldron complete, and then they have to either block both or they are getting hit because you can move the equipment onto one of the two attacking things, either the germ or that uh, at instant speed. Um, Do you think this plays into hammer
1: decks at all? I mean, obviously it's it's like
0: hammer decks. I think the problem with hammer decks is that they don't really get equipment into their graveyard. Like you have to be playing a different version of that deck. This is, this to me is much more of like a three mana reanimation spell, which we don't have any or very few in modern, right? I mean, it's specific, but those specific things can be big.
1: Yeah. I mean, this, what this allows you to do is get it's more copies of uh, what's his name? Pure steel paladin, like that effect. It's more of that ability, and it's a non-killable version of that ability that doesn't require metalcraft. I don't think that deck really needs that. I also think that deck like doesn't want to be spending three mana to do that. But it right. is interesting that it's it's backup. If this, if that deck played one of these or two of these as just more copies, I wouldn't be surprised.
0: Yeah. To me, to me, it's more interesting in a new deck that's like much more of like a reanimated reanimator stoneblade control deck than sure. what hammer time is trying to do. Um, yeah, because has seven, so you're getting a real mana savings there. Right. No, makes um, sense. All right, next card. This is one of the big cards. This is early on. We've already talked about this on the podcast, but reprive one in a white instant return target spell to its owner's hand. Draw a card. Remand is a white card now. Um, I, believe, I, believe, I believe this card is pronounced reprieve just for the listeners on audio that oh, are unfamiliar reprive?
1: on episode 400 of my co-host mispronouncing cards. Uh, we haven't talked about this white remand. I, I think we agreed when they first printed this card that it's cool that white has this remand is underplayed now uh so with the fact that this in white pushes it do you think this is gonna have a huge impact i think you did think so then do you still feel pretty hot on it
0: huge impact is a huge statement right i think it's going to see decent play right i think that like there's a ton of decks that don't have blue in it that want some way to delay effects that enter the battlefield that white do play white that can take advantage of this you know there is a lot of things in the format that are not great against a remand, right? Like anything with delve, any of the free pitch spells, like all of those are pretty like getting hit by. This is a pretty big beating and like Romand is still seeing play, right? There it's, it's not it, of the counter spells of a bygone age, a boomer, boomer counter spells of all of them. Remand is yeah. the one that sees the most play still, right? It's like after counter Counterspell, Force negation, and Archmage Charm, the most played Counterspell of like the hard counter world is Remand, right? And, and this is a card that offers an ability to a color that doesn't currently have access to it. Bites off a lot of the things in the format on an axis that is kind of interesting and uh, is just generically good on its own, right? And one of the things I love Remand for, right, back in the day at least, my favorite part of Remand is it's an easy sideboard card. And when I say that, I mean, it's not easy in your sideboard. It's great to have in your main deck because it's good against everyone to some extent. Like there's no opponent that you're like, damn, I wish I didn't have remand. But yeah, it's there are definitely a lot of matchups where it's like mediocre against it. And so it's great as a card to know, like, okay, on game two, I take my remands out and I bring in my negates or, you know, not negate. But, you know, my um, my different specific answers to those problems. Um, versus this generic one and i think rep- rep- reprieve reprieve is reprieve, yes is that that's a, that's
1: a good point i've had i've had that same experience i guess my my two sides to the thought are like number one man is so good in modern that if you wanted to play blue for to have a remand effect it wouldn't be hard to do in any deck anyway however it makes your mana worse and there is something interesting to be said for the idea that like Blue doesn't have good one drops other than Delver, I guess. And blue red decks do because they've got Raguman and they've got Channeler and stuff. But if you wanted to play a deck that does not play blue, white has way better one-drops <laughs> than blue. If you want to play like a white-red aggro deck where everything you're doing is like you're just you're just beefing your your board with like two power, good things on turn one, and then you're just like protecting and backing it up. Reprieve is a perfectly fine card to back up a Ragabond with. Like you play it on turn one, if they don't have the removal. And now you untap and you hold open reprieve with like burn and backup and stuff like that. That's pretty good. You don't need blue for that, which which is interesting. So,
0: yeah, I mean, like right now, Hammer Time is playing Mana Tithe. I can see Hammer Time very much replacing Mana Tithe with with this card. Right. Like and and it it could play blue. It doesn't need to. It would make the deck worse. I think that makes sense. Burn is another, you know, there, there's there's random decks that just like will take advantage of this that I think are. Great, and I think also as a value option too, right? If you can't afford force negations and you're in a white deck, like this is a thing that you could play. Yeah. Next card, Shire Sheriff. <laughs> Say that 30 times fast. A one I white creature, I can't, I can't. halfling soldier, 2-2, two, two, vigilance. When Shire Sheriff enters the battlefield, you may sacrifice a token. When you do, exile target creature and opponent controls until Shire Sheriff leaves the battlefield. It is a one white two two o-ring on a creature you just have to have a token in play of some variety before you cast it yeah it
1: is a it is another soldier just so we're clear they're pushing it more and more soldiers are very common creature types um it's very good it doesn't need like the idea i don't know if you guys do this but when i look at cards i always think about like how curving into something you're not going to curve into this very likely, but the fact that it's going to cost you two instead of all of the O-Ring fiend hunter type effects later in the game and leave you leave your like mana efficiency up is pretty strong. I think that that stands out to me as one of the things about this card that I like probably the
0: most. Um, I, I do like this card. I think it's I think it's quite good. Yeah, I think I think it's yeah. not good enough for modern. I think it's like close. It's pushed in some ways, but like this requirement is so inflexible and it's front side isn't very good that I think it's going to be hard for it to really, really ever do, do much in the format. Um, Can I ask
1: a question on the subject of, of, of tokens because I think this is one you and I were talking about the other day. So, and I think we talked about this on the show last week. So this makes reference to sacrificing a token, a generic token of any kind. And we've seen food tokens have now come back in this set. I don't know how many cards we're going to talk about with food tokens, but it's a major push and we're going back to Eldraine, which means highly likely more food tokens. Um, is Academy Manufacturer a card that our audience should be paying attention to? As we're going to wake up one day and everyone's going to look at each other and go, "Oh, this card's like fifty dollars because it's the linchpin card in this insane new combo." Because they just printed this new thing; it's so uniquely powerful. And now they're pushing food. So now, now all three of the types have had like
0: significant support. Yeah, I, th- I think. Yeah, I think like food. I think like everyone in some ways then this set is like looking to see if tempted by the one ring is going to break or be overly powerful in the next three months. Right. In the way that we kind of discussed, and I think secretly it might be some of the food cards and because food is equally as difficult to like judge how good something is. And so it's hard. It's hard to say I, I, I going through it. There didn't seem to be anything that was food related in this set right now. That was like, over the top there, the legendary creatures, there are some for sure. Um, but then we'll also we're going to get a lot of food support. And and to your point, Academy manufacturer is like just so bonkers with creating like any of those three tokens. And food can so often be under costed because food tokens themselves aren't as powerful as treasures or um, clues. And then add the layer of, you know, as or or um, The not the uh, the cookbook, you know, there's enough food tribal tokens out there or food token tribal cards out there that the more food token cards you have, eventually they'll all be good enough to see some version of play. So I I think I think there's definitely uh, all of the food cards are worth keeping an eye on to some extent. My, my opinion
1: there, the reason I the reason I asked specifically was about Manufacturer. I would say that to our audience, if you guys have ever liked that card, if you're interested in that card, pick up your set. It's like three bucks or less. It's a cheap card. And I do think that there's a real world where that card just skyrockets one day because I think it's so uniquely powerful and there's nothing else like it. And I don't imagine they're going to push that ability harder than that. So that, that does seem like a relevant thing.
0: Uh, the next card is uh Eagles of the North, which is a five white bird soldier 3-3 three, three flyer. When it enters the battlefield, creatures you control get plus one, plus zero, and gain first strike until end of turn. But the important one, it is one of five cards that are all uh basic land cyclers. So there's plane cycling, um plane cycling. There's 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 one for mountain cycling, forest cycling, swamp cycling, plane cycling, etc. And across the board, they all have um very strong abilities. One of them is food related. Another one is gives trample and plus two plus zero to a creature when it attacks. This one gives all your creatures and just anytime there's a one mana cycler. Yeah. In any set living end decks want to look at it. There's a few of these that are really, really big that like are really beneficial to what you're trying to do. And on top of that, the fact that they're basic land cycling allows you to find specific lands you need right like it does let you find shock lands with their ability yeah.
1: oh you said sorry. You, you, you said basic land cycling i was just going to point you out they, they it's not basic it's yeah yeah, yeah. sorry it's, it's, it's just basic regular type. four cycling yeah yeah which is which is crazy if you compare this just as frame of reference horizons one the like flying blue 4, 4 for six. that just had cycling for one blue for a single blue you could cycle it this has plain cycling which is fixing your mana for colorless yeah uh deceptively good rare to ability does not exist on many cards
0: yeah i think i think the blue one is the only one that won't see play because it's draw three it's not a creature it's like draw three cards for six or something along those lines but the other ones are all big creatures that are really good with living end and i would not be surprised if some amount if not all of them see some amount of play in that type of deck all right, we're going to go to a gold card really quick. We're going Pippin, Guard of the Citadel, White, Blue, Legendary Creature, Halfling, Soldier, Vigilance, War 2-2. Two, two. Uh, ward 1, it's a 2-2. Two, two. Tap another target creature you control gains protection from the card type of your choice until end of turn. Ooh. So this is different than the classic Mother of situation because card type does do different things, right? This does affect like you can give protection from instance or sorceries, or enchantments, or planeswalkers, or creatures, or et cetera, et cetera, and like, uh, I'm trying to remember what the angel name is, um, Sarah's Emissary, um, has a similar effect, and if you've ever played with that card, that effect is bonkers, (laughs) now all of your creatures gain protection from a card type of your choice is very different than than a Mother of Ruins effect, but also two mana is a lot different than seven mana, two mana something with ward is different than that so i think i think it definitely has pippin definitely has some cool interactions sadly both of its card well ben has been discussing how soldiers could make a cut make make it one day which i don't disagree they're up there on highest most printed card there's not a good a lot of lords or synergy between them but halfling is not a human which definitely hurts this card
1: yeah yeah i mean this, this i do think this card's interesting for for like the classic Azorius two two for two cool upside hate there. It's one of the best ones they've ever printed. This one has a lot going for it. I think we talked about Lavinia, which is which is on the high end of like ones that don't see play that I think are pretty good. Unsettled Mariner comes to mind from the first Modern Horizons, which is one that I liked a lot. This feels, I think, better overall than any of those. I think chance this gets pushed. I do think it's funny, by the way. Just uh if you guys follow us on tiktok there's a series i've been doing these like throwbacks looking at old sets and i just did the one talking about homelands (laughs) do you know the card apocalypse chime Do you know what that is no it's it's this artifact for two mana it's a rare i believe uh for one and a sacrifice it is bury all cards from the homelands expansion (laughs) it's it destroys only cards from that set which is funny to me because like Obviously, they've settled on this, like protect from a card type is like as deep as they're willing to go with weird protections. But I do think it's funny that in the old days, there was like throw a card and see where it lands, or you know, like pro- destroy all legends cards or something like that, which is hysterical. So,
0: anyway, my aside, I it's it's almost to the point, I mean. You made the point earlier talking about how Wizards is now designing for multiple formats. I think something that's more interesting is that Wizards is just like more interested in designing cool cards and using powerful abilities in new ways, right? Like this is an effect that has historically been ext- extremely powerful, but now they're putting it on a two-mana card versus a one-mana card. But it's two-mana card with additional upside and it yeah. attacks at a different yeah. angle. And I think that that's exciting. Um the next card, the one ring, four mana. Legendary artifact, indestructible. When the one ring enters the battlefield, if you cast it, you gain protection from everything until your next turn. At the beginning of your upkeep, you lose one life for each bird encounter on the one ring. Put a bird encounter on the one ring, then draw a card for each bird encounter on the one ring. We did a whole episode talking explicitly about this card, partially due to the the one piece thing that Ben teased it earlier, which is that there's a, this is now if you get the one of one stamped one, it's worth a million dollars minimum um, or, or a million hula hoops. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners. <laughs> um, you <laughs> Uh, so yeah, for those who don't know, I I, I half jokingly posted on Twitter, my bounty on the one ring, I will give you a million hula hoops for the one ring. Uh, so if you get it, let me know. Um, but the 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 playability of this card is I think we, we, we were pretty bullish on it, right? Like the fact that you can use it to lock people out pretty easily. And like, if you have two of them, the in the like legendary status of them works really, really well together. The fact that it draws you two cards and fogs you for a turn is like really powerful
1: yeah I think the, I think the thing that comes to mind for me when you mention all that is just even if not if nothing else happens if you draw this card and you draw like crap for the next eight turns four mana any color comes down fogs draws you a card you lose a life by the time it is your turn again your opponent has passed back to you and skipped their draw step you get two more cards. It's it's by the time You're, your opponent you interacts, you because
0: you, you lose the life at the beginning of your upkeep.
1: Oh, oh okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, gotcha. You, so you, you don't can,
0: you can play it, tap it, draw a card. If you can get rid of it, you don't lose any life or you can tap actually, it again during your upkeep to draw two more.
1: So it's uh, like lose
0: one life, draw three cards. And then on your next turn, you can decide to get rid of it or play it a second one to then restart the process. I guess it's four mana,
1: come down, fog, opponent can interact with you, draw a card, no life loss, upkeep happens, lose a life for the one on it, your opponent can now interact with you, and then that same turn, tap, put a second counter, draw two cards, at that point you've still only lost one life, so now you've fogged, drawn three, lost one life in the course of two turns, which, two of your turns, which is, but on the flip side, it's a four mana card. <laughs> Like there are a lot of things in modern, like just as for frame of reference, like I know this is totally different and way better and scalable, but like painful truths doesn't see any play in modern concentrate or harmonize. sees no play in modern. Like, and I know those are much worse than this, but in terms of like the ability to draw a bunch of cards for three or four mana has not been placed at a premium in modern history. It has to be incidental or cheaper.
0: I think, I think the thing though is it's not, it's not, you're playing this for the, you're playing for both halves, right? Like, like separating either half of that. A four mana card that drew you three cards, not good enough. A four mana card that fogged for a turn with this level of protection, probably not good enough. The ability to do both, though. And then if you draw a second one, chain it. And then if you draw the right cards, be able to just do it every single turn, right? Like, there's an Academy Ruins and two of these, and you just basically like, never take damage again right you just are indestructible forever or have protection for everything forever there is for
1: sure a combo centric aspect of what this card offers that i agree i'm only evaluating it on its base power level and for to be fair there is the version of this where you go past you go past that those two turns i just talked about and you get to the next turn and now your four mana investment has drawn you six cards you've taken three life and drawn you six cards and fog for one of the turns and that's pretty good. <laughs> that's pretty good. Four, four mana to draw six cards is pretty strong if like. Y- so it remains to be seen. Also, I still think I'm playing
0: this with Shieldred in play.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Insane in complete insanity. <laughs> so maybe, maybe this card's busted. I don't know.
0: It's very. Yeah, I, I think I think this card is good. I think it's, you know, you need the deck to be built around it, right? You are playing a ring deck. Yeah. Um Next card is press the enemy to blue blue instant return target spell or non permanent and opponent controls to his owner's hand. You may cast an instant or sorcery spell with equal or lesser mana cost from your hand without paying its mana cost. Um, I think, I think to me, the thing that people are mostly talking about this card is that it's an instant speed ability to cast living end or uh, crashing footfalls out of your hand. Right. And it's like not a terrible interaction spell in general in those decks. And it allows you to, you know, do the the as foretold game plan esque activity. Um, you don't need to have that card in your hand to be able to use it too, Right. So you could just use it as a bounce spell uh, or counter spell. But the fact that you can then use it to then cast. The thing that is stuck in your hand that wins you the game is powerful. Yeah, there's all there's the there's the other
1: aspect, which is like four mana. <laughs> Yeah, it's four mana. I, I was to say the other aspect, too, is like if, if this is in the like control deck as a one of and you're holding open four and you just like return whatever to their hand and that allows you to thought scour or opt or consider or what, you know whatever spell you're playing like this, having this, having cast my consider out of my hand for free built into it uh, as the mana savings is reasonably tempo. I think the lack of playability of cryptic command probably means that this is not good in those situations at all. It's probably not like it doesn't quite compete with a a um, Archmage's Charm. So I think probably the only situation this is really playable, given how unplayable Vencer has been for so many years, is probably what you're talking about, which is going to be.
0: The- yeah, yeah. I, I don't think this card is playable outside of you trying to cast Crashing Footballs or or Living End out of your hand. Yeah, right now, so. being able to counter your or return your opponent's spell to their hand, and then cast living end at instant speed is pretty good though. Like that's like a board wipe that you end up with like six power and play. That's a deck that already wants to play with their mana untapped, right? Like because all of your cyclers want you to just start cycling at the end of your opponent's turn. So I do think there's yeah. there's strengths there. The next card is Council Council's Deliberation. Uh, one in a blue instant draw a card. And then whenever you scry, if you control an island, you may exile Council's Deliberation from your graveyard if you do draw a card
1: yes so this card is really interesting um the only problem with this card is that really at best it's just two mana draw two and i think like that's, that's not, not good best. enough well two at- mana draw a card Remember, you scribe you control an island you may exile it from your graveyard if you do draw a card so like how else is what else are well, you with well this? at
0: best you have it in a like a a, a self mill arc like phoenix instant sorcery spell deck that is more self mill oh. and these like the best case scenario is that you discard this or it ends up in your graveyard for free and then you discard draw. and draw a card this like, right like this the, the, the card
1: draw creeping chill it's like the, it's like that yeah right it's,
0: it's draw a card creeping chill right that's the best case scenario to me medium case scenario is it's two mana draw a card which is not terrible right like that is a sure if, sure, if they sure. printed a card to one in a blue draw two cards instant that would be a modern playable card. I think like expressive yeah. iteration is not too far off of that at a sorcery. Uh, yeah. It's, it's better than that, but it's a sorcery and it costs blue and red. Right. So like, I think th- it's medium case scenario is draw two cards for two and instant speed is actually pretty decent. And then the, like, if you're playing some weird, arc lake phoenix decks with ops and ways the self mill and you're trying to just cast those three spells in a turn and you have ways to get them into your graveyard then it starts becoming like a really bonkers power play
1: yeah your points really sound sound there I, I i guess i sort of forgot about that there there is like
0: then i've never forgotten that there's an option <laughs> in magic the gathering to mill yourself <laughs> and be for free.
1: yeah I, the thing about this card that is interesting i guess or maybe most interesting is the fact that like Anytime ever in Magic's history that there is a way to skirt card draw or mana generation for free or using your life or graveyard or deck as a resource in some way, it's good. Like from from the age old casting of land grant to like once upon a time to street rate the Phyrexian mana to Creeping Chill to Asmo, like whatever. Anytime you can get something cool for free is good. And you're right. Drawing a card for free is the thing that decks want to do. And the fact that this only costs two, So yeah, so you're, it's fair. It's a fair point. It, yeah, it, th- it, I it think like
0: I, th- I think if this card has a home in modern, Arclight Phoenix is next to it. They're hanging out. They're having a good time. Um, and Phoenix has been good in modern often. So so I think I think that's not an insane. Just like playing this with Faithless Salvaging, right? Like you can use Faithless yeah. Salvaging. You discard this. You draw a card, and then you just cast. Any, you know, serum visions, and now you've serum visions, you drew a card, scry two, drew an additional card.
1: You think that if this had said scry one, draw one, and then had the same second ability, it would be too good?
0: Uh, do I think it would be better if it said that?
1: Well, no, like obviously it would be better, but my point is, like, do you think that if the front side was scry one, draw once so the back side was next time you draw councils of liberation, you're going to be able to draw the other one for free? Like, do you think that would be too good?
0: Yes okay fair enough I, th- I think it removes the work right i think this card is a very very powerful but it takes work that work might not be too hard to do i mean the, the kind of my point is like a deck that's playing ledger shredder arc phoenix and yeah your envisions already kind of like like wh- one thing that it would be interesting is like it does have a weird relationship with opt versus consider yeah right that's yep. that's the big thing is it doesn't trigger off of surveil it only triggers off of scry and so that that in some ways is its biggest negative if it said scry and sorveil i think it it becomes like very good now because it's just scry it's decent uh but i also think like so there's hope. ways to add additional incidental scry to a deck that this deck could take advantage of that maybe it's not but um does that,
1: also make, does that also make serum visions more of an option than it has been for a while if this well, card became good
0: I mean the Arc to Phoenix deck I'm looking at is playing Serum Visions, right? So it's not, it's not, not seeing play in those decks. I got it, got it. It's serum visions, it's still like a house, right? Like it, that hasn't lost its its luster entirely. But I think it would maybe like lose light, like not lightning axe, because you need to discard something in here that like would maybe help. But sure. um it's it's an interesting there's a there's maybe a conversation that maybe you consider becomes comes opt again like you lose the ability to just like mill your phoenix but you get this as a trigger i don't know sure. um the next card and i think this is one of the better cards in the set stern scolding one blue full of a took uh instant counter target creature spell with power or toughness two or less um at one point i looked it up like it's like over 60 percent of all of the most played creatures in modern are countered by this including solitude including ragavan including and that and that's that even takes like basically i think every single card out of the Yagamoth deck uh gets countered by this because Yagamoth itself is a two four so like there's a Uh, lot of there's a lot of like because it's power and toughness and not cmc there's a lot of things that this just out of the gate gets rid of now it is in essence, scatter variant, which like classically not the best thing in modern. But the fact that it hits so much of the format is pretty, pretty. And and the format has four remo- four of its key removal spells are technically creatures. Definitely makes it exciting to me.
1: It'll be interesting to see. I mean, the thing that's fascinating about modern is that there are so many options now. The decks have become very refined based on the meta. So I think given the right meta, which maybe is this meta, this card will be good. If you think about other cards over the years that have been very good that have cost one, Let's take Spell Snare as a good example of a card that for Modern's first half was like pretty good and playable in most of the blue decks. Right. There's just way better options now. You don't play Spell Snare anymore. You don't really need to in certain formats. It'll be a one of. But
0: like but I think it I think part of Spell Snare it, not seeing plays because two drops are not good in Modern right now. Like they're either all one drops or f- like six, three, dro- like three, like yeah. four drops. Right. Like the 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 two drop space is weird versus like this kind of this counters Season Pyromancer. It counters Brazen Borrower, Dragon Rage Channeler, Ledger Shredder, Grief, Shardless Agent, which is fine. Hey, where might. You know, like there's, there's so many weird Dwathi Void Walker, Esper Sentinel, Solitude, basically everything out of like I think I don't think there's a single creature in Hammer Time or the Yagmoth deck that doesn't get countered by this spell, right? Like it hits so many things. So like easily that it it's becomes really exciting
1: yeah i i think this card is really good i think this is arguably one of the best cards in the set i think my point is your comment about essence scatter is correct and i think that even beyond that When a thing is good because it's specific, it's good because it's the best version in a certain meta. So I think maybe this meta is the one just depending on how modern, you know, further develops. We'll see. And
0: and we kind of said it with reprieve, right? Like there's always a conversation amongst all the different counter spells you can play. Which one should you play? Right. And this one now is a part of that conversation. Um, Yeah, Birthday escape, one in blue. Sorcery, draw a card. The ring tempts you. Of course it does. Thank you, Bilbo. <laughs> he's he doesn't want to be at the birthday. He's gotta he's gotta get out of there and hang out with the ring. Here's 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 the deal with this card. Cantrips are always interesting. Yeah. <laughs> the rings escaping do let you loot. So in some ways, this could be one mana, draw a card, draw a card, discard a card which is obviously very good if you have a creature that can attack. Um, It kind of gives a creature unblockable, so it's kind of one mana draw a card target creature gains unblockable. Um, I don't think anything but the first two abilities on the ring tempts you are things you should count on as a part of a strategy unless you're really going after the ring tempts you. But I think those two abilities with draw a card attached out of like an infect deck is not uninteresting um, because of the, the, the ability, the first ability on the ring tempting you which I need to remind myself the exact wording to make sure I'm not saying that wrong and how that interacts with infect, because that's the the place I think this is interesting. Your ring bearer right. can't be blocked by creatures with greater power. So so you can get to, if you attack, if you cast this in infect, if you cast this on your glistener, uh, elf. glistener elf, attack with glistener elf, get to the post declare blocker step so they couldn't block it. You can then pump and kill your opponent. Right. And it helps you draw into that, which is not the worst thing. And the second one you cast lets you start looting to sculpt your hand better. So, also, you mentioned this already cantrip's
1: always being interesting. One thing that's fascinating if you guys have never done this, I recommend you do it. Look on any database, just draw a card, look it up at one CMC in every color, one or zero, but I mean, it's rarely anything else. There are a few things you won't find, like the street rates of the world that don't qualify. But if you just look things up that cost one, you'll realize the shockingly low number of one drops that actually draw cards that don't require you to target. It's a lot of one drops that make you target creature gets first strike till end of turn, draw a card. Target creature becomes blue till end of turn, draw a card. If you don't have a creature on turn one, you can't play those cards. The number of cantrips for one mana that just outright draw a card, they're much lower than you think. And if you're talking about that with the upside of these four abilities, getting started on turn one because you don't need a creature, You don't need a creature. You can play this on turn one without a creature. Once you have a creature, it becomes your ring bearer, but you begin your ring bearer without a creature. I don't think this card is modern playable, but there's something we don't don't understand about this yet that could that could fool us later on.
0: The more I think about it, the more I think it is like. Cast this on Raghavan. Like turn one, Raghavan, turn two birthday escape, and now Raghavan can be blocked by anything, anything that is. Uh, like anything that's a three power or bigger can't block Rogavan. It's just like, and you drew a card to replace it, and you know, blah 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 blah. Right? Like
1: third ability makes so now the third ability makes Raghavan essentially have death touch, and the fourth then, ability then, damn,
0: anything that could block Rogavan just dies if if they do block it. So Rogavan becomes it's a, a little bit of a just a removal spell, and then the the fourth ability is it starts dealing like five damage a turn. Ragavan, sorry. Ring tempts you.
1: Can you clarify for me really quickly? Is it dealt damage or are blocked?
0: Uh, each ability is uh, so the the draw card is attacks. The uh, drain life is deals damage.
1: What about the third ability? What is it the third dealt damage whenever a ring bearer
0: blocked. becomes blocked by a creature? That creature's controller sacrifices it at the end of combat.
1: Okay, so here's where things just got really interesting because I was wondering this. You can you can dash Raghavan if you have some ability to return it to your hand, and once it's got the ability, if they want to block it, you can bounce it back to your hand as long as you had any any bounce ability, any kind of repeatable bounce the, the problem, the ability. The
0: problem is you would have to dash Raghavan, then cast Birthday Escape on right like you'd have to give him the Ring bearer status. Something has to. Well,
1: no, yeah, agreed. I'm I'm sort of saying that like mid game, if you've cast Raghavan yeah. on turn one, or turn two, Birthday Escape happens, and now your deck's got. Any, any number of the things that can allow you to bounce things back to your hand for any kind of benefit, you know, additional cost, return a creature to your hand type of effect. The sure. fact that it only has to be blocked by for them to sacrifice the creature, and you can dash Raghavan the next turn, so it has haste the next turn, and it's the same Raghavan with the same ring ability. You don't have to reassign it. It's just a dash Raghavan that's going to loot and can't be blocked and kills things and deals additional damage. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see how the, the 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 ring temps you think plays out. But birthday escape is certainly one of the most interesting one drop cantrips I've ever seen. It's much better than most of them.
0: Yeah, yeah. One mana draw a card. Get that is a very versatile list of words that and to your point, like there's not a lot of cards that let you just draw a card. I think there's a lot of value here. That's that's a little bit more deceptive than you would think. Uh, one thing that also just go back to Council's Liberation, because I was thinking about this with the card we were just talking about. But Dragon Rage Channeler exists, too just like surveilling it into your graveyard, like having things that they can surveil is good. Um, next card, and this is going back to gold. You know, we're going to gold really quick before we go back and get to to the swamp mana. Saren's Ransom, one blue, black, instant, choose an opponent. They look at the top four cards of your library and separate them into a face down pile and a face up pile. Put one pile into your hand and the other hand in your graveyard, the ring tempts you. So basically, fact or fiction, it's three mana, but cost the black in modern, that doesn't matter. And then in, you get four cards versus five cards. And one of those card p- p- piles is face down. So you don't get to see it. But three mana is a big, is a lot less than four mana. <laughs> sure, yeah, um, yeah. And you, you know, that's, that's, that's the big, that's the big, because Factor Fiction is in modern, right? It was added, I believe in Modern Horizons too. Um, right. But getting to be able to do it for three is a lot less than four. And, and I don't You're know trading- how much. I don't know how one of the piles being face down really matters to you. Um, you're, you're always three mana for two draw. I was
1: just going to say, you're you're trading you're trading the ability for four mana at instant speed to draw you three, because there'll always be three with Factor Fiction, for three to draw you two. And you're, paying, you're, you're trading a mana for a card in that situation. But the second pile in Factor Fiction is always going to be two anyway. So it's essentially three for what is usually going to be made to be your worst pile. Like, or or your better part, po- whatever the one you'll take, usually they'll usually make it appealing for you to take the two is the kind of the deal with Factor Fiction. So it's three for two, right? Is it kind of the idea? You just don't know which I, I don't know. My, I guess my point on this is like the ring tempting me is like. This doesn't feel like the kind of card I'd want to play in a deck that wants to take advantage of the ring. Tempting. And if, I, it, if
0: I cast this spell and I put a face down card in front of you and a face up pile with three cards in it, what are you choosing?
1: To face. Oh, oh! It's not two and two. It's just two piles. So you can give me a three and one. If there's a card you specifically do not want me to get, one well, card that I want, you don't
0: know what the one is. I could give you like lightning bolt, land, like second <laughs> Raghavan. and then the other card is face down.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's okay design bravo very (laughs) fun this is really cool i'm done very well and i guess i guess i did i did change my thought there for a second like it is because it costs three a little more applicable to a deck that's going to play one of those like done bad one drops i like playing so like ring tempting me like fits into the delver vibe whatever whatever that vibe is but i still think this card's
0: probably not good enough but it's interesting but it's definitely interesting. I think it's close, and I think it's gonna like I love this effect, and we'll talk about another card in a second that's similar. I'm I'm here for Factor Fiction style games at all times. Um, next card, right? An artifact. So that was the last. That was the last of the the, the blue cards, I believe. Um, next, we're going to Artifact Land. It's Wizards Rockets. One for Wizards Rockets enters tapped. Uh, you may tap and sacrifice it to add X mana. X tap, sacrifice Wizards Rockets. Add X mana in any combination of colors. And then when Wizards Rocket is put into your graveyard from the battlefield, draw a card. So so yeah. if you untap it, is it is one mana, draw a card on an artifact the next turn. Yeah. yeah. Which is worse it- than oh Mishra's M- 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 bobble. We can talk for a brief second
1: about the flavor on this card, I think. Only because I think this is such a memorable, like fun scene from Lord of the Rings, right? Like it is. Like, like Gandalf bringing all the fireworks. Then, then and I don't beam. care
0: about flavor or story at all in a in a, a, <laughs> a Magic the Gathering. I don't want to talk. To, I don't want. Why not, our, our viewers wouldn't want to listen to that either. Who would want? Who would?
1: I want to play this card and just look at my opponent, just like dead in the face. And be
0: like a, a, a wizard. A wizard
1: is is never early or late. He always arrives exactly when he intends to. Like I do. Um, I do yeah,
0: wish just, this card just like didn't. I understand. I wish this card didn't enter the battlefield tapped. Is I think the big thing.
1: Feels unnecessary to me. You
0: know, yeah, because like, like it, I guess that would just be better than, um, what's the, the Tron plays it one mana, one sack it, make a mana, draw a card, star, star, chromatic star. Yeah, chromatic star. It would just make it better than chromatic star.
1: It comes down for one, sacrifices for one, gets you one mana of any color and draws
0: you a card. So it, it this is literally that card, but it enters the battlefield tapped, and the one mana you spend to get one mana is scalable to the X equals X, right?
1: Yeah, but they make cards that are strictly better all the time. There's just I don't Sure. I don't know how na- I mean they could it could have been like Could have entered untapped, grab right from the battlefield, draw a card. It could have been like Goes to the battlefield, exile it or something. Exile Wizards Rocket. Draw a card. I
0: think think, think we're moving on because we have a lot of cards to get through (laughs) and there there are better ones. Orcish Bowmasters, one in a black creature, orc archer, one, one, flash. When Orcish Bowmaster enters the battlefield and whenever an opponent draws a card, except the first one they draw in each of their draw steps, Orcish Bowmaster deals one damage to any target, then amass one orc. So this is being heralded as one of the best cards in the set this is the like everyone from modern to cdh is talking about this card being a massive blowout i personally think it's overrated ben what are your thoughts on orcish bowmaster
1: i saw you saying on twitter that you thought it was overrated so let's just can i just start with cdh the things that are drawing you lots of cards in cdh that state draw a card because correct me if i'm wrong does Adnaz put it into your hand or draw a card? Does not. Adnaz puts it into your hand. Okay, that's what I thought. So this does not help with Adnaz. This doesn't help with Necropotence either for the same format because Necropotence exiles and puts it into your hand. So what are the cards in CDH that draw you tons of cards that people are worried about? And this month. can like help. Sure. Okay. And because it's not like one that turn, it's just, it's just permanent. It just sits in play. I, mean, the the I,
0: think, I think people are overrating it a little bit because it doesn't say like the first time on a turn or once a turn, right? It doesn't have that rider on it. And so now people are like overrating that ability. Also, I think like a mass is being, is not getting a amassing an orc is not getting a one, one elemental. Right. Right. Like that just becomes a bigger and bigger creature. And like, Bitter Blossom is a better card than the Amass Zombie version of Bitter Blossom they printed. Red
1: Horde Red, Red invasion. invasion. People forget and so, how
0: people forget how mediocre Amass actually was
1: in War of the Spark relative to Bitter Blossom. Like it was not very good. That card's not that good.
0: And so, so like with that in mind, but it is also dealing a damage to any target, right? So it can kill things. It also is a flash back into modern, which you know uh is we're doing the modern set review of lord of the rings it does like worst case scenario on if you're on the play it does just kill it is just like two mana kill ragavan right like it without don't worry about them drawing an extra card just like flash block kill it and then if you can do anything better than that it's way better than that um there are a lot yeah, of X1s in the have, format. Have There's not as obscure. many as you would think because Renin 6 has just like eaten every X1 out of the format. Yeah, true. Including probably this card. Um, the fact that you do get to get them, right? Like if they play any way of, like there are a lot of ways that people draw cards in modern, and this does gain some amount of value no matter what. You, you will always have two creatures in play for that. Um, yeah, I just think it's a little i think it's overrated i think like a yeah, mass is worse than a one one doing one damage to anything in modern is not as good as it used to be and i think it'll see play but i don't think it'll be it's st- i don't think it's the staple people are expecting
1: it's also not a relevant creature type or card type it's just a flash one one for two which to me is like the amass is fairly irrelevant um it's fair that your mass orcs one over the course of a game in a bigger format can get big. But in modern, like you're talking about a 1-1 one, one growing to like a 3-3 three, three or 4-4 four, four over a few turns, maybe. So that's not that relevant. The damage is pretty good. I mean, that does that does change your opponent's habits. And the up and the upside here is that this doesn't cost you very much. And you probably have gotten upside because it costs flash. Or sorry, it has flash, but I would say the like there's, there's a pushed version of this card, like a la Ragavan, like the the Raghavan formula of like. There's a pushed version of this card that's like a two one, or is a zombie, or is a make a one one, or like one of those things is changed to make this generally good. Is, is a and goblin,
0: it, right? It has the right it has a good creature type.
1: <laughs> each of those things is not the case, which means that this is just a card that's going to fit into a black deck. Now. I would say if this gets overrated, gets printed, three months pass, it drops down because it's a rare out of mythic to like two bucks, a buck. And it's out there and people are like, oh, it was overrated. Pick up like 10 of them <laughs> because like guaranteed in a couple years, unless they errata this card to not say orcs one. It's probably a card that will not get reprinted like for a while because it's more specific to the set. And I do think this is going to be good. I think this is a good card. I think this card, like specifically in modern and formats like that will be, oh yeah, I mean, that combo that's killing everyone, just put Orcish Bowmasters into your deck. Like just put four of them into your sideboard and like they can't win because if you just play this in response, they just lose. That's totally a thing that this card's going to be. I think there's no question. It's one damage to any target, which like is pretty powerful. You can board sweep. You can just like just ruin them. If you have some ability to make everybody draw cards, like if you have some ability that's like all players draw 20, you just kill someone. If that happens, it's it's also you can be the one that creates that. If you play this alongside Fairy Mastermind from March of Machine, every time you activate it, and you both draw a card, <laughs> you draw another card for them and also deal one to them and a mass. Like that's pretty good. There are things this card's very good with, but I don't think it's, this isn't Raghavan. You're not, I'm not looking at this and going, this is just obviously the best card. In the yeah, set. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I, I, I agree with you. Um. Yeah, I... I, I yeah. <laughs> I've said what I'm going to say. Next card. I I guess what I'll say, I would rather play Dark Confidant, and I don't think I want to be playing Dark Confidant in, in Modern right now at all um so uh golem scheming guide one black legendary creature halfling horror when golem scheming guide attacks look at the top two cards of your library put them back in any order then choose land or non-land an opponent guesses whether the top card of your library is the chosen kind reveal that card if the guest right remove golem from combat otherwise you draw a card and golem can't be blocked this turn
1: there's gonna be a series of videos that will exist probably sometime in the next year where you and i play against each other with this card and it's just going to be a video of guessing and just the angry reaction to being wrong and I, getting like,
0: kind of desperately want to make like Golem, Sauron's Ransom and like Gifts Ungiven and Factor Fiction, just like a deck playing all of those cards yeah, and just exist purely to play mind games with you uh or my <laughs> opponents and uh like just like consistently get you or get you you know i'm that's what i'm that's what i'm looking for i think that like i'd rather play this than dark confidant if dark confidant is our scale right so i would rather play this golem than orcish bowmasters possibly that might be a really hot take um but the fact that it like has the potential to have an unblockable 2-1 and draw a card every other turn Seems like pretty pretty fine. Uh, I don't think it's good enough for modern, but I don't think any of these cards are good enough for modern. Uh, the fact that it doesn't have flash, like flash, definitely helps bowmasters. So I guess I'd play bowmasters. This card's really fun, though. The issue with this card is that
1: there's a world in which you play it on turn two. It's legendary, so you're not. You're probably not going to play more than one or two in a deck. It doesn't have a creature type of relevance, unfortunately. It's not a goblin or an orc, which makes sense. It's golem um i mean orcs aren't relevant anyway horror kind of is hidden horror anyone okay here we go um but uh it is not relevant in that way which means there is a world in which you just attack on turn three and attack on turn four and they just guess correctly and this is just a nerf dude does nothing yeah that makes this card unfortunately kind of irrelevant on the other hand (laughs) uh on the other hand there's the version of this card where you attack on turn three and turn four with an unblockable two one that draws your card each turn that also rearranges the top two cards of your library, which that sounds like a sign me up deal right there, boss. So I guess that's the
0: tension and why this card's fun. It's just I think it's a little bit I wish I wish it was pushed more because I think this card is massively fun, but not good enough. Like I wish it was like, I wish it deck, was like a four one.
1: What if the legendary X Mardu? And you're playing this alongside, like, the Raghavan and the Mox Amber and all those cards we talked you're about. Just, like, a, like, leg- it's, it's
0: a Legendary 2-1 that you want a Legendary 2-drop, and there's not that many good Legendary two- I think I'd just rather have Thalia or something, though. Yeah, I, th- yeah. I think that's, yeah. Uh, next card is Haunt of the Dead Marches. Black Nightmare Elf for a 1-1 when Haunt of the Dead Marches enters Battlefield Scry 1. Two and a Black Return, Haunt of the Dead Marches, from your graveyard to the Battlefield tapped, Activate only if you control legendary creature. The relevance is the card type. Uh, This is an elf. Uh, It's a one mana elf one one that helps filtering. And then the elf decks that may be something they relevantly would like uh, while also offering like a late game consistent. You will have an elf in play if you need it for your elvish arch druids or whatever. Um, I think it's too black intensive, but otherwise interesting.
1: Yeah, I think it's too black intensive and too slow. I I do know those decks generate a lot of mana, so there is that. They generate a lot of green mana traditionally, which is not my favorite thing for the use of this card. Yeah, the like, I, th- I, think,
0: I think I think sl- to me this card is interesting. If I was playing elves, more because it late game lets me flatten my draws out better, like it makes sure I can scry into stuff that I want. But I agree with you. I think I think it's just too like if it had if it didn't enter the battlefield tat like there's like something missing on it to make it relevant for modern there's the
1: version of like when an elf comes into play draw a card types of effects that this like late game means you can pay three to put yes. it into play and draw a card that is cool but i think it's yeah i think it's underpowered so
0: can move on. um next card is murkwood bats three and a black creature bat flying whenever you create a, or sacrifice a token each opponent loses one life two three This is the card everyone, and now, obviously, I think the reaction to this has been Commander. This is, like, the card that everyone's like, this is one of the most powerful cards in this set. Actually, in in any format, I think format is way too much for that. Uh, It does, (laughs) like, there are ways you just win, because it's both when you make and or sack. So, like, if you just can get a lot of treasures into play. Yeah, this guy, this this, this card alongside
1: uh, the whole... Uh, john johnson chaos crafter archetype is a win condition yep right so there is that but i think i think if you can if you compare this to blood artist and falconroth noble like those cards there's plenty of ways to make creatures and sacrifice them like that's a thing people do and have done i know treasure tokens very specifically are free to sacrifice that's a thing like that's the biggest reason this is a thing here you can make a treasure and you can sacrifice it. And it's when, when you make the treasure and sacrifice the treasure, everybody loses two. But I still think making that many treasures, there's only one card, only one ring that is that efficient at doing that thing. And let's be honest... Every deck is made insane by Dockside Extortionist. You don't need Mirkwood Bats for Dockside Extortionist to win the game. Like every deck I put it in is just like insane when I play it. So
0: yeah, like it's it's kind of a conversation like the moment that this is good. You're already winning. Yeah. And they're there. Yeah, I I, I agree. Uh, next card is Stone of Eric. Uh, one legendary artifact. Uh, if a creature in opponent controls will die, exile it instead. You may pay two and tap it. To exile target player's graveyard, draw a card. This is another in you know, a long list of cards that just, you know, I get it. Wizards hates a graveyard and they want to get rid of them. I think this was an interesting one because the front end has like a rest in peace-esque static effect. Um, it only affects dead creatures, so it's not as good against something like Dredge. But it's pretty great and like a pretty powerful sideboard card. And the fact that it is your opponents only is really versatile. And then obviously it has the backup nuclear option of uh exiling their entire graveyard and then getting the draw card from it
1: yeah i mean over the last few years there's been a real focus on wizards printing one mana artifacts that have like effects like this now this one the front end static ability on this is actually really different than a lot of what we get we often get the like one mana activates for one mana variant of a relic of progenitus scrabbling claws deal there's like four or five of them now to the point that they're you know there's like jack o lantern i think is one they printed a few years ago that's kind like of another one and they're fine they're, they're those are abilities that are like good to have if you need to play multiples of them in modern you're only going to play the best ones so is this better than the best ones and like you think you mentioned it but you know rest in peace meets relic of progenitus kind of Grafdigger's cage type of vibes i think this is powerful enough that it's in in the ballpark with it um doesn't matter that it's legendary because you only need one in play at a time anyway. So who cares? It sacrifices for two. That's my biggest concern. If the sacrifice for one, I think it would be more on my radar. The fact that it sacrifices for two just means you have to leave mana open throughout the game to activate this. And like, it's kind of tough.
0: So yeah, I think, I, I think like, If I'm a deck who would want rest in peace, other than the fact that my graveyard is important, this is a type of card I'd be looking at, right? Where it's like, this keeps their creatures when they die from entering the graveyard, which is really good. Like, this is a great sideboard card against Yawgmoth decks. And if I'm not able to play Dwathi, if I'm not in black, right? Like, I would, this is a great option when I can't play Dwathi Voidwalker. This is a great option. If I want my graveyard to exist, like, I'm playing... um, like, specifically, I'm playing Merc If I'm playing Murktide. like, I don't want to eat my graveyard with a Relic of Progenitus because I need my graveyard for Delve purposes. This is a great option to me, right? It, this is better than Relic because Relic eats my own graveyard. I can't play any of the black or white options. Uh, this still does draw a card, and there are a lot more opportunities in that style of deck where I have my mana open. Because I have counter magic open and they didn't cast a spell and I have the opportunity to do this and or if they do cast a spell, it's a spell that this counters their spell better than my counter spell, right? Like that, if I have a choice between counter spell and this and your casting living end, I choose yes. Stony of Eric and just like, okay, you can have nothing in your graveyard and I now have exiled your graveyard. So yeah,
1: your point, your point, your point is that the, the upside of the front end is balanced by the high cost of the backside. Yeah. It's they, they essentially balance each other. And, That's
0: and, and like the, the fact that it doesn't affect your own graveyard, right? Like those, those are the two pieces that are interesting to me where like some of the alternative options are either color specific, right? Like if you don't play black in your deck, then this replaces a lot of the better options that are out there for you. Um, yeah. Next card, we're in red. Spiteful Banditry, X red red mm-hmm. enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, it deals X damage to each creature. Whenever one or more creatures your opponents control die, you create a treasure token. Sadly, this ability triggers only once each turn.
1: It's not parallel to to uh, Meat Hook because of that last little clause you put on there. It's like the red version of Meat Hook that's kind of bad.
0: Well, <laughs> I would say that making a treasure. In multiplayer, I think making a treasure on each of my opponent's turns in my turn is comparable to the drain effect on Meat Hook Massacre, especially sure. in a 40 life format where life matters way less than making a ton of mana, right? So I think in that format it's better. I think Meat Hook Massacre doesn't see tons of play in modern. Modern is also a format where colors do matter like this matter. Like if you can't play black, you might want this as a red board wipe. Um it's not like there's a large library of good red board wipes. I don't think this is good enough for modern. Um, but mostly because I think it's like, I don't think it's not, I don't think it is worse than Meat Hook massacre or much worse, but I don't think I it's just good think, enough for modern. I Yeah.
1: To me, it strikes me as a card that's going to be good and is going to be pick them up. Cause I think that card's going to go up in price. Cause I think like Meat Hook is expensive and there's a reason. I think that card is really good. I don't think modern is going to see enough of creatures die over enough turns that that upside's worth it, uh, and I think that the downside is that if like Anger of the Gods or effects like that for three gets you three damage, this has five to get three damage, which is way worse. <laughs> it's just just a lot worse, so I can't see a world in which this card is playable. However, the next card, definitely playable. <laughs> this card's insane
0: moria marauder red red goblin warrior double strike when a goblin or orc you control deals combat damage to a player exile the top card of your library you may play that card this turn one one i mean so
1: for years and years and years and years the question was always goblin lackey right can lackey get printed into modern that was like that was always the question because lackey was the one drop that if i remember correctly lackey was like a one one for one that when it dealt damage you could put goblin from your hand into play right combat damage that's how it worked so that was always like the the missing link for what would have made goblins insane
0: and there's and there's there's the goblin uh, warren instigator warren instigator which is like which is relevant to this card because it's a red red one one double strike whenever you do damage to a player you get to put a goblin into play this is also a red one 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 double strike
1: yeah warren instigator classically too slow uh good card just never like got the velocity going by turn three, getting a couple goblins into play. Your opponent could interact. They could kill it. Didn't do enough. Um, This does not require your hand to be full of goblins. This this does not require that at all. It's just a two mana one, one double striking goblin that is going to allow you to exile cards. Now it's only play that card this turn. I want to make that clear. Uh, It's different templated from a lot of the blue red effects, which is until the end of your next turn, you can play that card. That's, that is a difference. So on turn three, if you've got a thing in your hand that you want to cast, like you, it's essential to your game plan and you flip two, two drops or something, you're probably going to miss out on one or both of the cards you're flipping. And it's not, it's, it, it is play though. It's not cast. So you can play land, the exile land on turn three. So I don't know if this makes goblins <laughs> like a tier one playable deck, but it sure makes it closer.
0: They keep giving us more and more fodder. So, I have a weird thoughts on this card. One, your point with Warren Instigator. Warren Instigator was slow. This has a slowness to it. It does. If it does eventually get attacked, it gets to do two hits. You get to exile two cards. It does. It's a lord. So if you whatever your one drop is or whatever hasty goblins you play out afterwards, also get the trigger exiling cards, which is much more powerful than what Warren Instigator is doing. On the other hand, it's not an optional. uh, It's not optional. So uh, in the deck now in goblins often the decks are like skirt prospector snoop combo decks and th- i can see a lot of games where you're like on the beatdown game plan at first and you have moria marauder and based on the order of how you have to exile things because of how many goblins you dealt damage you accidentally exile the combo out from being able to be castable or even like doable right and so you can't like stack it correctly So I almost want to say, I think this card is a miss. I think like it or or it's playing the deck that I think wants this more. Like, I don't think the Snoop decks want it. I think the eight whack decks want it, though. I think the like I'm playing. But the problem with the eight whack decks on the other side, not not to like is that those don't want to be playing stuff in second, your second main phase. like everything that deck wants to be doing is like playing your goblins with kicker on first main phase so that they all trigger the because they're all like etb your combat step gets bigger and so i think like in some ways moria marauder just doesn't line up with the current two main goblin strategies in the format that being said to your point right now goblins isn't a tier one deck in modern because I will maybe say those two strategies aren't the strategies you should be doing. And this maybe is more of a value oriented Gomblo aggro deck. I just that seems like fury eats this thing for lunch.
1: On the note of fury, I will say the thing about this card that stands out to me that's the strongest. There is an aggro goblins deck there. It's a it's a good deck. There's a lot of good cards in that deck. There's a version of that deck where this flips a fury. And unless I'm mistaken, you can evoke fury from exile, but you, which means you can play that card. This turn the, the, that card has a has yes. evoke evoke. I think costs. you
0: can debatable. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty I'm not, sure I'm not. I'm, wrong, I'm not I'm here I, to confirm to deny. I'm hoping Rick I'm happy has wrong. put uh, confirm or denied on top of our heads. Um, I'm happy to be wrong. Alternative I casting costs you, are weird, but yes, I, I think I think you are correct. Uh, um, which
1: my brain does equate to because this is not legendary and you can flip a fury. There's a part of me that's like, can this just curve out? And you like flip fury is one of your two cards on the double strike where it's like, okay, flip fury exile card from hand. Replace that exiled card with the other card that I can now play. The lightning bolt, that like, I don't know, whatever. There's just a part of me that imagines Fury being so good, and if you're getting free Furies on
0: attack I triggers, I don't think. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know how good Fury is in either of those decks. And and with eight whack, or uh, like the point of that deck is to cost like under fifty dollars to buy in on the whole deck, and playing Furies doesn't seem to really go with that. Much, <laughs> but, sure. Um, so that's it. Maybe Fury could be good in that deck. Um, but that like that deck. If you can afford the Furies, you should be affording a better deck than 8 Whack. And I don't know if this card puts it over the top. Um, the next card is Gloin Dwarf Gloin, Dwarf Emissary. Two red, legendary creature, dwarf advisor. Whenever you cast a Historic Spell, create a treasure token. This ability triggers only once each turn. Sacrifice a treasure token, goad target creature. Um, I think the thing that hurts this card is the only once each turn rider... Yep. I mean, it's just a three mana three, three that allows
1: you to get a historic, get a treasure off of. Yeah. I mean, you can it certainly has like acceleration potential, but at three CMC, it's just not doing enough. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think I think yep. if it it's it's a classic case of wizards, stop putting disability triggers only once each turn on cards. It always it always is a bad time. The next card, Delighted Halfling Green Halfling Citizen tap, add a colorless. Or tap, add one mana of any color, spend this mana only to cast a legendary spell, and that spell can't be countered, it's a 1-2. Um, I think this is the best card in the set. Uh, I think the uh, one mana 1-2, tap for a thing, the fact that it's a 1-2 is already just like leagues ahead of other options currently that are playing. And then, then, then the fact that it makes legendary spells uncounterable is its own version of Bonkers.
1: Yeah, this card's nuts. Um big big like congratulations round of applause for Wizards making this a rare, not a mythic. From the perspective of like how good this is obviously going to be sure. and how sought after this card is going to be and how sought after this card is going to be for lots of formats. I think this card's going to be good in modern. I think you'll be able to make this card work in modern, but I think also obviously in commander this card's going to be good <laughs> and it's going to be a just a, a just a delightful, no, no pun intended card for like most casual players. It's easy to understand and very fun to play and I'm glad this is not a mythic because if this was a mythic in this set this card would get insane really fast and then they would have to find a way to reprint a card called halfling which is not that easy for them to do so I'm glad there's a rare people will open a lot of these when they're digging for the one ring and there will be a lot of them out there which is great and uh yeah I I think this card's terrific I'm excited for it yep
0: I yeah I mean the amount of birds of paradise variants and then variants that have been printed in the history of magic that haven't been pretty decent is real small. And then just add any up, like literally just one green one, one taps for a colorless has seen significant tournament play in formats. And then just the more yeah. you add on top of it, the more likely it is to see play. And I think this hits all of the things. And, and, and the one, two status is not to be un- like the fact that it dodges, Fury or dodges just being blown out by Fury and Dodge's Renin Six is like a not to be understated. Dodge's gut shot. Like the, it 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 being a one-two is actually like a very legitimate big deal. And I just remember Death Right Shaman being so frustrating because it was a one-two, and all the ways that were good in the decks that Death Right Shaman was so good against, the best removal they had available were one minus one minus one or one damage I, and I, being I, and I, just like why is it a one two? Delighted halfling falls into that same same variety. Um, shock, man! People are gonna start playing shock. You watch next card: Elven Farsight, uh, green for a sorcery. Scry three. Then you may reveal the top card of your library. If it's a creature card, draw a card.
1: Yeah, I think this is just good. I think it's good in any creature deck that like ever has wanted to
0: dig. I think it's pretty good, right? Like, hard to imagine. It's like kind of better than if you are playing fifty percent creatures in your deck. Yeah, this is better than ponder.
1: If you're playing fifty percent creatures in your deck, this is going to see at three cards
0: twenty percent of your deck. So, or like like with ponder, you 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 like you look at the top three and then you decide you shuffle to draw, right? That's like your loose case scenario. And then whatever you draw is you don't want in yep. this it's you scry three and none of them are creatures. So you don't get to draw a card, but you do still get to scry three, right? So you do get to like, say like, Oh, I like got, I'm, i it's turn five. I have five lands in play and the top three cards of my deck are lands. If you bottom, 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 and then reveal the top card, and it's a, like, a, a, an Elven Farsight or another land, at least then you're not in a pocket of four lands deep that you're driving through, right? So I think, like, it feels comparable to Ponder to me uh, in a deck that is leaning heavily into creatures. Um, and then the fact that if most decks that are leaning heavily to creatures are often in some way kind of trying to be combo, right? Like, if you're playing Yagamoth or if you're playing um, Elves, the fact that this, like, lets you find the specific thing you need is also very nice. Yeah, I think this card's really good.
1: My my comment of uh, 20% of your deck is incorrect. Uh, it sees 5% of your deck is my actual, it's the actual math of three out of yeah, 16. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> solid. solid. Uh, but no, I, I think that the point is that scry three for one green when it has the high upside of getting to draw a card, even in the instances that you miss where you hit, like, triple land, there's a scenario where you have a decent hand and triple land is going to just outright lose you the game where this is going to stop you from losing.
0: Like right.
1: scry three is, scry three is pretty good. That's not a scry three is not like to be trifled with. I think we all yeah, forget I think, sometimes. i think people are going to
0: underrate this card because they're going to see scry three and then you only draw a card with a creature without realizing that you still get the scry three that that ability doesn't go away. You just don't necessarily yeah, get I to think. draw the extra card. Um,
1: if you've ever played, if you've ever played like a game of limited, you keep like a two lander. You hope you hit your third color, and you just don't hit a land for three turns, yeah. and you just a hundred percent lose the game. This is your insurance, yeah, right, yeah, to, to yeah. that type of scenario.
0: Next card is Baradur in the land legendary land. Baradur enters the battlefield tapped unless you control a legendary creature. Tap uh, black or uh, tap XX black. Tap mass orcs X. Activate only if you uh, a creature died this turn.
1: Yeah, um, I guess it's a uh, no, I don't think this card's good enough for modern. What
0: I think, think I think I think that the untapped land cycle, which is really what we're talking about, because the next one is Minas Tirith, which is uh, same deal. If you have a legendary creature and there's untapped, it taps for white mana, but it's one in a white tap, draw a card, activate only if you attack with two or more creatures this turn. I think this is the best of the cycle. Uh, sure. Minas Tirith specifically, I think this cycle is like very good in general untapped lands that do things can be very powerful. Sure. Upside the writer of meeting legendary creature is not as free as say Monano, who who is actually free. Um, but the abilities on a lot of them are better. I think if I'm ranking them right now, uh, I would have minister at the top, probably the shire next, which just lets you create a food token by tapping a creature. Okay. Probably. Like Minds of Moria in the decks that want it or Rivendell, but I don't I think after after those two, I don't think they're modern playable, right? Like I don't think Baradur Mines Minds of Moria or Rivendell are that insane. Minds of Moria, maybe we talked about that on our preview episode last time. Uh Rivendell seems just worse than Castle Ventress. If you're playing with a lot of legendary creatures, oh well, okay, so Rivendell in a deck with Raghavan does turn your Ragavons into like late game scry twos every turn for two mana. Like two mana scry two okay. is a lot better than four mana scry two.
1: Yeah. I th- th- I think lands of the upside, what we've learned in modern over the years, different conversation for commander, but in, and obviously they reference legendary creatures. So in commander, these cards are different, but I think specifically in modern, what we've learned over the years is if a land is special and is good and is like a utility land, some decks will play one. Sometimes like it's a thing we've seen decks won't go crazy on those cards unless you're talking about like a combo deck that's like using mystic monastery sorry mystic sanctuary or an effect like that that's the only time you're going to see modern decks take interesting ETB lands and like go crazy but if it's just like this is a pretty good source that can sometimes be untapped castle vantress or something like that and modern will see some decks play them as one ofs, and I don't look at most of these and go, "These are crazy good." They all look like the best of them are just okay. So I I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of these see a little bit of play, but none of these is reinventing the ring, uh, so to speak. I
0: disagree uh, on Minas Tirith. You think it's that good? You think the draw card is is, is strong enough? Two mana draw card on a land in, in any for any aggro deck playing white is like.
1: Yeah, but it's what still going to enter a land
0: that draws you cards for that little amount of money, mana.
1: Still going to enter tapped a lot of the time. It's still going to activate for this and tap this and two mana. So three of your lands. And it also makes you attack with two or more creatures, which like if you're at- attacking with two or more creatures, you're probably doing that two or three turns and winning the game. If you're attacking with two creatures in a turn and you do that three times, you're probably it's in a win more situation. Like if you can do it once, maybe you can like gamble, throw away one creature to replace it with a card. But if you're doing it more than a couple times, you're in a situation where you're probably winning anyway. I think that the legendary creature clause on this in modern.
0: I feel like I've played a lot of decks where like I'm attacking with two creatures and not winning the game because of it, but I'm not like that's just a natural state of flow that I'm like trying to dig for stuff. You could you could be right. I don't look at
1: this as even in those decks, you think you'd play more than one of these? You think like you'd play two? I'd play one.
0: Or it's yeah, a legendary I'm land. Saying, I, don't, I, w- I would only play one of any of these. Any in the same ways that I only play one of the channel lands, right? Like I only, uh-huh. I don't. And those are like bonkers.
1: I'd play more than one odawara and Boseju. Those cards are insane. Most decks only play like,
0: at most two Bosejus, and the second one, like you still don't play that many because you don't want to get stuck with like that's your yeah, two, I get it your two lands in your hand and you can only play one of them, right? Like,
1: yeah, but even if you play, yeah, agreed. I these are these are okay. There's your point. This cycle is worse than the cycle from Kamigawa that I think I'm sure of. Yeah. How much worse? Not too much worse. But if the Kamigawa lands are seeing play in ones and twos, Minas Tirith might see some play. I wouldn't be there. I wouldn't be shocked if one of the others see play from this s- sequence as well. It's just, I don't think that they are like a redefining.
0: Feature. I think you, I think you like missed the one- Shire, if it's the Shire she's play, it sees play because of Asmore decks, right? Like I think it's yeah, very yeah, easy for that to see play with Asmore. Asmore is a legendary creature. You play in turn one. The Shire then enters in the battlefield un- untapped, those decks are playing green, and the ability for yeah. one and a green to make a food token and tapping Asmore, who's just like not even a creature you might be attacking with in the late game, is like great. Um, right? That that that's <laughs> the argument for that one being the best, is just like it has a home, and then home wants this card versus Minas Tirith, Minds of Moria, Rivendell, etc., which don't. Um it needs, it needs to be pointed out that in general, when sets get spoiled. We don't have this many cards
1: that are real considerations for playable. Like this is p- pretty high number. Um, you well, missed Modern one. Modern Horizon sets
0: have been. Yes. Yes. True. Those. Those are. The- and this is <laughs> and a this Modern is- Horizon set. <laughs> it is. It is.
1: Um, there is one card you didn't list that I saw a lot of chatter online about, and it's just one combo that's been introduced to Modern, and it's Rosie Cotton of South Lane. Uh, it's one white two for a one one legendary creature halfling peasant. When Rosie Cotton of South Lane enters the battlefield, create a food token. Whenever you create a token, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control other than Rosie Cotton. It combos with Scurry Oak, which is green two for a one two tree folk with Evolve. Whenever one or more plus one encounters are put on Scurry Oak, you may create a one one green squirrel creature token. So those two in play together. And there have been a lot of cards that combo with Scurry Oak because it's a good card that has a lot of combo implications built in. They go infinite. Automatically, Um, it's a two card combo that makes Scurry Oak infinitely big. Um, That's notable. Uh, It's it's two now. To be totally fair, (laughs) creatures of three cost or less, where you need two of them to combo off in green white. There's a lot of options that are not like the most played in Modern right now. You've had a number of them over the years from. You know, Malaira all the way to.
0: Yeah, like the, the question. The question to me is that, is that better than the Agamoth combo? Right. That's that's the real and and or is it better than Heliod, which is, the I guess, the real question, because like the like yeah. combo is better than Heliod combo, which is why green black is the current creature combo deck versus green white. This is mm-hmm. a green white combo. And is it better than the current green white combo? And maybe it is because because to be honest, the Hellia combo involves needing Heliod and Walking Ballista, which Walking Ballista is tutorable, but it's weird, right? You need a Hero priest. You need other cards to go find it. You can't use Collected Company to find both. This like could very easily just be a good plus one plus one counters aggro deck that uses Collected Company and doesn't have to have cards that don't do anything unless you're doing the combo which is a benefit right? Uh, that, that is a non-zero thing also as a value thing both of those cards are uncommon so like f- if you're looking for a value modern deck playing like f- both of those collected company some thalia's some like good creatures and some gavany townships could just like win an f and like that's that's, that's like my, a legit just has- win condition
1: that was my point. You, you you took the words out of my mouth there as far as the value. I, I noticed that these are two uncommons, even though Scurry Oak is a card that people like and it gets talked about as like a combo card often. It's still less than two bucks. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this card, Rosie Cotton, is not being talked about enough that I think it's going to be very expensive. I think one thing that's super notable just as a like ending to our review of this is that there is going to be more product in Collector Booster opened of this set than most sets have ever been ever because there's a current offer out on a card that can only be open in a collector booster for a million dollars. By the time people are widely opening collector boosters, that offer is going to have gone up. It's no longer going to be a million. It's going to be like one, five or two, because the set's not even publicly available and it's already a million dollars. And as someone who's opened a lot of collector boosters, and I know you have two, What happens is after you open three or four or five, you get a little desensitized to everything other than the chase rares at the back of the pack, which means that every single uncommon you open that's cool and a cool like full art foil showcase printing just goes in a pile and eventually gets bulked or put in a box. And Rosie Cotton is that card. 100%. Rosie Cotton is exactly the card that's going to end up. Someone's going to have 17 copies of this in full art extended foil that you're going to be able to buy for 18 cents. So there is a version of this and Scurry Oak that is an infinite combo that you can buy for really cheap um, that I think is really cool. So I think that that's a notable thing to point out. And it is a two card infinite combo that we missed. So but I think that's the review. Otherwise,
0: yeah, yeah, I think I think like. Even if there wasn't the one ring gimmick. Right. Even if that didn't exist, I think this would be one of the most open sets of all time. Warhammer is the most successful commander product of all time. Right. Yep. And that is Warhammer's popularity compared to Lord of the Rings is not comparable. It's not even in the same yeah, not universe. Close, yeah. The Stranger Things secret layer, the Walking Dead secret layer, most popular secret layers of all, t- right? Like, I don't think it's a, I don't even think it's close. Uh, yeah. Like th- this set's going to be so widely opened that like, yeah, uh, it, it's going to cards that are going to be worth a lot from this set is going to be specific um and they're going to be format format dominating which I mean I'm really excited for this set I we both love Lord of the Rings or uh, or or I or,
1: say I think I think one thing that really stands out to me on that note is like as a fan of Lord of the Rings and as somebody who's played Magic for as long as I have and you've played Magic a long time now I'm really happy that Wizards waited 20 plus years to get into this type of thing sure. where we have such a baseline of what this game is and what it's like to open cards that are not licensed that there there's going to be a serious influx of players between Warhammer and Lord of the Rings and Doctor Who in these next few years. This is obviously a format for success. And your whole point just now about Lord of the Rings is a really sound one, which is like, if you go to your local game store twice a month to see your friends, because you guys play board games, and they're like, hey, Magic: The Gathering has a Doctor Who set coming, and you go. I love Doctor Who, and I've always been curious about magic. I'll buy a box for two hundred dollars and open it. Now you're into magic, right? They've gotten you because you like Doctor Who, and that's a whole new audience and a whole new way of people approaching magic. That's I think really special and cool. But that type of thing, if they had done that on year three, is a is such a different deal because now your whole entire base that loves the game is coming from a different, and they might not stick around and your community might kind of fizzle and they might, right? Like that's why to me, I look at this stuff and I go, man, if the future of magic is licenses, like if that's 50% of magic from here on out is just going to be like big, cool licenses, if that's what it's going to be. All right. (laughs) We've got 20,000 cards already. Like I I have enough cards to build cards with forever without a new card ever being exist, like released. So I don't need these cards, but it's dope to have cool franchises. It's cool as a Lord of the Rings fan to get this stuff out there and be able to talk about it. And I think it just makes me happy yeah, that agreed.
0: we created this to do it. Agreed. Um, last last kind of things. Uh so uh, this was a big announcement if you follow me indoor ben or cast stuff on Twitter. Um we are coming out with a Spikes family uh, card game. We also have the Sonic license game. But the big one right now is Spyx family. If you don't know the anime, it's really, really cute. It's definitely my favorite recommendation right now on if you haven't watched anime before a like great first step into the, the 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 medium. Um it's about uh, a, a spy Cold War era trying to spy on like a, another country and get into like a government official, but the only way to get near him is to uh join a very prestigious private elementary school. And so he has to make a fake family. And uh so he adopts a random child. That child happens to be a psychic. He then finds a uh person who's looking to like for a fake husband because if she's actually a world-class assassin and she doesn't want the government thinking she's a weird person for being single at her age so she needs a family and he needs a wife so they get but no one knows what that the other ones are are super spies or assassins or uh uh psychic so uh shenanigans ensue but we have a a, a card game coming out uh it comes out uh demos are at uh, Origins. I won't be at Origins, but the Kess team will be there. We'll have a booth, and then it'll be uh, limited release at GenCon, uh, and then it'll be out uh, this September uh, at stores like Barnes & Noble. Um, it's really, really fun. Definitely recommend it. If you want to learn more about it, please make sure to follow the uh, Kess underscore ENT socials on TikTok and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, it's a new social, specifically focused on the entertainment side, so all the licensing stuff we do. Um, and it's really, really fun. It kind of plays if you ever play the game like uh, you're trying to like figure out you're trying to put together like a poker pair of the perfect family or their best friends from the show. Um, and there's espionage and assassination and you can get killed and it's up to five players and it's really fun.
1: Yeah. And as Kess mentioned, uh, Gen Con, we we will not be at at Origins. The cast team will be there, but we will be at Gen Con. We will have a full on cool booth. You can see the game. You can see that game. He he just breezed over it, but we didn't really talk about it extensively on this episode. Uh, Sonic. We have a super cool Sonic game coming out uh, that we've worked tirelessly on for the last six months. Plus, we've talked about on here before, Mega Man and the other cool properties, Street Fighter, that Guess is doing, um, which are awesome and really, really, really fun. And we put a huge amount of effort into that. And as you guys have listened to us for the nine and a half years of these 400 episodes, you know how cool it is um, that a company that Alex started is going to be releasing these properties, tabletop games that are so near and dear to the heart. So I really think um, if you have a chance to check them out please do if you're gonna be at Gencon come see us. Like I said we'll both be there and
0: uh, and check out Spike's family this fall. Um, absolutely. Uh, and other than that, thank you so much. It's been 400 episodes. It's been really exciting. We've gone through a significant amount of life. For anyone who's listened to every single episode, you are the real MVP. For anyone who's been watching just regularly throughout that period, even if you haven't watched every episode, thank you so much. Uh, big shout out to our patrons. You're the reason we've been able to get to episode 400. Uh, thank you to channel fireball tcg player thank you to the command zone for helping us early on when we originally launched as our sister podcast uh thank you to everyone from marshall uh who does all the 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 producing rick who does the editing michael who is you know one of our co-hosts uh for a long period of time uh glenn jones who started the podcast with me ben uh for being a a co-host for the majority of 400 episodes uh, more than the majority, 95% of them. <laughs> and thank you to every guest we've ever had on the show. Just all of you, every one of you. Thank you so much. It's been a wild 400 episodes and we're looking forward for another 400.
1: And Renee for recently doing over the course of the last year, oh, yeah, tons, and tons of social content and, and sharing all our stuff and developing the social presence with us, which has really been great.
0: So, And, and I've uh, never forgotten people to thank this is the, it's like the Academy where I think oh, God, my mom, Ash, Whitney, uh Ben's guitars uh especially hey. the ones he sold magic collections to buy <laughs>
1: Ben's mom and dad
0: and siblings and <laughs> the nieces and nephews. <laughs> yeah,
1: yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh so yes. Thank you everybody and, and it's been a it's been a heck of a ride. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll be back next uh next week for we'll episode talk to you four. All check next, out next the next episode don't, don't don't sleep on that. Go to at Kess Wiley on TikTok and at uh the mm cast because we're doing a lot of unique content oh we see yeah we just out. did a
0: whole breakdown on the history of sarcon uh and there'll be more all right thanks everybody bye guys this has been a production of time traveler media sending podcasts into the future